0: Hello, and welcome to Tectonic, the podcast that revolves around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. You're listening to episode number 36. I'm your host, Joe Darnell, and with me is my good friend, Mr. Joshua Pfeiffer. How are you doing, Joshua? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm keeping busy. How about yourself? I'm doing wonderful. I have had uh, some highs and lows of late because this is December. It's a an emotional time of the year for me. I I get all sentimental. I'm thinking about the holidays. I'm thinking about technology in new ways. I'm trying to get back to my humanity (laughs) (laughs) and I'm trying to spend more time with my family. And I keep getting drawn into the computer world because, well, there's always work to be done, but I feel like it should take like two and a half weeks off. And (laughs) technically we freelancers, we don't have any vacation days.
1: Well, you know, what helps the uh, emotional ups and downs is eggnog in December.
0: Yes. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that helps. With a little
0: bit of extra of our, our grandma's bourbon,
1: just a little bit. Well, no, I, I, what I meant was bourbon with a little, little bit of eggnog in it.
0: Yeah. Mm, I like your recipe. I'm going to have to come over to your place a little bit more often. <laughs> <laughs> and that other person you heard chiming in, in a complete endorsement for the eggnog, that is Sean Patrick John Paul George Rango Duran.
2: <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing well. Any mention of eggnog? Especially people that like eggnog—they're my kind of people. Oh yeah,
0: awesome! Good well, I, yes. Do you have eggnog uh, around you? Are you missing out this year?
2: No, I'm not. Never missing out. I actually, I, uh, there's a, a local creamery called Hartsfield in Ohio, and um, Hartsler actually, and they make the best eggnog. And they always sell out around Christmas time. Like you can never get oh, it for like New Year's. Too... So I stocked up, and I didn't look at the expiration dates, and. I had to drink a whole bottle the other day because it expired. And I was like, I'm not going to let this go to waste. I'm the only one in the whole building for the next couple hours. So I'm, I might as well polish this off.
0: Yes. Good, man. I'm so yes. proud of you. That, that's fantastic. <laughs> and anywhere where you can enjoy a Christmas beverage, you know, uh, at the workplace is okay by me. Like I've been saying on my other podcast of late, I've been enjoying some Irish coffee. I start those back in November and I have them basically the whole winter months spell because um, who doesn't like what you put into Irish coffee? It's got coffee in it and so many other great things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and just to, it makes life better. <laughs> well, Sean, this is your introduction to Tectonic. Thank yes, you very is. much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me and reaching out. And then sorry for not replying to your Twitter messages forever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the thing about Twitter messages is that they really do get buried into the notifications and it depends on the the app you use. You may not notice them at all. What, what, are, what are you using to interface with Twitter?
2: I usually, I have TweetBot, but I don't actually use it because I don't know. I have, um the native twitter app and i have the analytics uh, turned on so i can actually see how many people have looked at a tweet clicked a link yada 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 tweetbot doesn't really provide that
0: mm. so the ability to control your analytics is somewhere in settings for the account or for the app
2: um it's actually on your twitter account if you you have to go to twitter i think dot no ads.twitter.com and then you essentially sign up to become uh, part of their like analytics Thing. it's a bit confusing because the analytics and ads are different but they both talk to each other and you have to sign up for both of them hmm. or enable one and then go to another um and but then you get this handy little button at the bottom right hand corner of tweets that's like looks like a bar graph and then it's your stats
0: very cool so this is why i have you on the show all <laughs> all the smart people on the show so that y'all can teach me things and uh, i can glean from y'all's uh, insights and knowledge base it's good stuff yeah Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out because I've been using TweetBot for a good long time, and I love the way I get to experience Twitter across different devices. But the trick I have found is that I enjoy what notifications do with Twitter these days a little bit more. It tells me when um, my friends, the people I follow, are especially interested in a tweet, and everybody started retweeting something all at once. It's like, well, it must be good. I want to check that out if I'm not going to take the time to actually follow my entire or read my entire Twitter stream I at least want to find the good stuff. Yeah, and it'll present those things to me in a notification. That's a really powerful. and I'd like to see more of that kind of thing in other apps.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a shame that like Twitter is sort of like closed with that, but that apparently Jack Dorsey was like, yeah, we're gonna open it up a little bit in the future. Hopefully that future comes sooner and sooner because I like Tweetbot, but I'm not uh, as heavy as a uh, Twitter power user as others.
0: Well, and, and Tweetbot has a long history with Twitter, and it's harder for them to change over time. Twitter is trying to change with culture itself, whereas mm-hmm. Tweetbot is trying to meet the needs of um, the users we're going to get to in a few minutes. So, <laughs> Sean, what's really interesting to me about you and is that you and I have a lot of crossover in our day jobs. You're a professional designer. I'm a professional designer, but we have very different backgrounds and I wanted to talk about, you know, what makes Sean, Sean, and what makes you so interesting. I, I find you to be an interesting person. <laughs> I got, thank you, thank you uh, for being on my show again. I'm, I'm serious. You had a podcast a little while back called all of the above, and we had your co-host Brian previously on tectonic. And those were good episodes. I wanted to have you as well. So, tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself, your education, anything relevant. What makes you interested in technology, and what are you doing these days?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're you're checking your list and making it twice.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, my uh, start with computers and design. I guess it would start out just like you, uh, you messing with Photoshop right around uh, when I was like twelve or thirteen. And then I actually had that same copy of Photoshop until I was 21. I never actually bought it. I had Photoshop uh, CS3 my whole life. And I did all my design classes and all my things ever in Photoshop CS3.
0: Yeah, I, I started with Adobe Photoshop CS2. Uh,
2: I did have that, only at school. I officially <laughs> had my f- first copy on a computer that I owned with CS3.
0: Did you ever have a PC in there? that you used it on
2: i had a no actually only a mac impressive for photoshop yes
0: yeah see i started with a pc that uh, windows 98 so yeah (laughs) those were the days only pc i've ever had so i tasted the dark side and it was kind of gross
1: yes (laughs) it it only got worse in a few years with windows me oh yeah (laughs) oh it was that was bad
2: i remember the reason why uh My parents upgraded our computer to Windows Me. It was because I wanted this Lego Steven Spielberg kit. I don't know how else to describe it. You got a digital camera and then you can make still frame animation
0: with Lego kits. Yeah, there's a lot of products that do that these days.
2: Yeah. And at the time, that was like one of the first things, and Lego had it. So it only ran on Windows Me. (laughs) And. My parents had to upgrade it, and then we never had successful internet after that. We had to use <laughs> um, AOL Instant Messenger. You had to <laughs> log on to that and then start the dial-up connection and have them two trying to go at the same time. And for whatever reason, with that AIM trying to connect to the internet and having the dial-up going and doing it, it's like, <clears throat> Yep. that was the only way for it to actually successfully complete. Hmm. It was interesting.
0: Yeah, what they say, the the cake is a lie. It's true about PCs, so... Back, back to Adobe Photoshop CS3. I'm sorry I derailed you.
2: No, you're good because that—that's I, I got into like like film and animation at that early age as well, and I was always interested in creating something awesome. Uh, I never actually realized that until a little bit later. But I was like, I I, I just want to make something that people can see here, like all the senses.
0: What what inspired me early on, apart from the fact that these were just very powerful tools that were so accessible and very quickly you could make something great with just a little bit of experience and trial and error, was Pixar. Anything that came down from Pixar on high was really inspiring to me. And then I would watch their making of videos and they would talk about the art process, mm-hmm. the research and development stage where they would create characters and put them on uh, notepads and they would bet around ideas creatively. And the more and more they got into it, the more and more they, they, they were passionate about these things, but they were entertaining people, but they were also brilliant and they were using technology in really fascinating ways. And all of that was so inspirational to me. So as I took more and more of an interest in graphic design, I was, I was thinking about what would a Pixar guy do today with, with this business card? How would he make it better? <laughs> that was my inspiration.
2: And I know that they always focused on the story. Like, that was the biggest part. Like, is this a good story or not? Like, the animation, the visual, the aesthetics, that comes later. But if the story is killer, then everything else falls into place, which is the same with true with, like, any kind of design. If you have to work around the content, it's like, uh, if you don't have content, you're really making things sort of look pretty. You're, like, creating a dress without knowing the sizes of the person that's wearing the dress. Mm. Anyway,
0: that was, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a good, it's a good example, but what, what I did was less like real education in terms of design. What I found myself doing was following the path of so many of the other Darnell's before me. <laughs> a lot of us are designers and artistic types, film directors, and some of them got a real education in the field and said, you know, you really don't need that stuff. Just, just get into the field, study the heck out of it on your own with your own time and practice and do some projects on the side, you'll get used to it and you'll find your place. And mm-hmm. so th- that was the route that I ultimately took. And looking back, I, I kind of wish I got some professional training just so I could say that that was up on the wall, mm-hmm. but it turned out okay. I've I really had a long stretch of lots of great experience. And I was wondering where did you come from? Because in your background it's much more narrow you've had a much more focused history from what i can tell in user interface and user experience
2: yeah I, I, at least that it looks like on the outside um,
0: <laughs> as is often the case
2: yeah i uh, started um as like a, i thought i was going to be like a math teacher that didn't happen and i transferred to a different school and then uh, from the first school i went to took every class that sort of interested me so that was like photography design video, multimedia, pretty much everything. And then when I transferred to OSU, I found a major called uh, New Media and Communication Technology with an emphasis on human-computer interaction. It is almost as long as my name. (laughs) And it doesn't really describe anything. It's just a lot of words that are melded together. But it's essentially user experience. And what was cool about that is user experience... um, is so broad, because uh, it contains a lot of different parts that overlap. And the way that I've broken it down, and the people around me at the place I work at Cardinal, we actually uh, about two weeks ago we sat down and were like, "Okay, here are all the things that encompass UX. What do each of these things do?" And we came up with like uh, six different branches um, would be like interaction design, uh, visual design, information architecture, content strategy user research and usability and then front-end development and then we just went down and sort of described each of those parts and not every UX designer is essentially good at all those there's probably actually nobody that is great at all those because they would probably be not great at any of those
0: yeah it takes very different skills and personalities to to address particular strengths
2: yeah exactly also, it makes a better team if people are more specialized in like one or two areas rather than just like two guys and gals. Just hey, you guys know everything. Your guys are you're the UX people, right? And then we'll throw it over the wall, and you make it better. Then you throw it back. No, that's not. <laughs> that's not how real life works.
0: Well, no, that's exactly what happens in real life, but it always <laughs> fails. And but that's what how people would like to treat it. Yes. And the the difficulty with user experience design. Is it so often the case that either you get it or you don't? And if you don't, if you don't get it, then you don't understand the need for it. And you don't understand how to take this particular branch of designers seriously and let them do their job effectively mm-hmm. without showing them the respect of the workplace and treating them as, well, second-class designers, you know, kind of like, uh, you don't really do anything, do you? You're just, your head is in the clouds, <laughs> you, you know, you belong in the, uh, in the psychiatrist office or something instead, Right.
2: Yeah. You have lots of post-it notes everywhere. What? That's all you do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: It'll be like, I'm the guy over here coding the thing. And Bob over there, he's in Photoshop. What do you think you're doing? <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. Communicate like the value of that.
0: So, but that's your job. That's that's what Sean is trying to figure out. Yeah. Like you said, you came up with the six parts.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and then I was actually wondering, uh, Joshua, what do you know of the UX field?
1: Well, well, I'm I'm, I'm uh, sitting here learning and I'm wondering if if the, I guess, if it hasn't caught on in most companies, will that answer the only question I've come here with, which is why are so many websites so bad? You know, uh, there are just so many that are just so bad and frustrating. Uh, and, and that's, of course, even setting aside the web ads and, and that sort of thing that just ruin websites. There are just so many websites that are bad. Is it because the companies don't put an effort into into the user experience up front?
2: That's a good question. Uh, why are so many websites bad? That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty big question,
1: but it's so. I'm, I'm I'm just so often frustrated and 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 I'm not into web design, but I'm an engineer, and so I just I always think, how did this get out the door? Oh yeah, who who who? What meeting was there? Who was at this meeting that this was presented? And someone said, "Yep, let's let's go with that." You know, I, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Whenever I see something like bad, like how you said, like how many people said yes to this?
1: Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I guess I'll just throw out the example, uh, yesterday or, or the day before, uh, you know, Joe's, uh, building up his LinkedIn, you know, and he said, Hey, you know, we've worked on this one issue together, you know, would you mind endorsing this one skill set? Mm-hmm. And so I opened up, you know, my phone, opened up the app. Couldn't figure out how to endorse him. So okay, I'll, I'll put a reminder and I'll go home and I'll open up the computer and get on the website and and do it. I get on there, I can't figure it out. So the next day, I call him up. I'm like, you needed to walk me through this. And 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 at that point, the little plus button was next to the skill, and I could figure it out very easily. But I swear, the day before, it wasn't there. <laughs> so
0: and I it. wouldn't be surprised because it seems like LinkedIn oh. is a different website from day to day. Yes. But, you know, when, when,
1: when you're going in there you know, and you're not stupid and you're specifically trying to do something and you can't figure it out, that's when I just wanted to go, mm. how did this happen?
2: Yeah. Well, lots of people blame themselves before they blame the people that made the site. Lots of people think, <laughs> oh, I am stupid. Like, how did I not figure this out? This is all on my fault. Oh, no, that's not the answer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can I can see that. But I, I definitely don't start there. I, I'm always blaming the designer. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: Joshua is in a, a different percentile.
1: <laughs> I just figure, you know, I, if I can't figure this out, it, it has to be a broad thing and therefore it's not my fault.
2: Yeah. With UX, it's a bit different because sometimes, like there's marketing or there's like the developers. It's a little bit easier to group those into like pods or little clicks or different sections. But with UX, it's more of like a strategic role that sort of spans a lot of the groups depending on uh, there's like usually three factors where there's the technological like is this possible of doing whatever idea that we come up with can we actually feasibly do it then there's the like the business side like does this make business fiscal sense of doing it will this either bring in more money or will it reduce costs and then there's like the third side which is usually the neglected side which is do people actually want to use this what's the voice of the user and in all those meetings if there isn't a person there as like the champion for the, the people that aren't in the meeting, but have the most say in the end, whether the project is successful or not, if they aren't there doing their job, then either the business or the technological side will win. And that's when you get something that comes out the door that either like, oh, there's like five call to actions because the business guy said that we need more people to fill out this form or like, oh yeah, we just coded this really quickly because we didn't have enough time, stuff like that. So that's usually why something (laughs) bad comes out the door.
0: Yeah. That's a great example because so often it's the case that the, that the, the the manager, the project manager, who wants to push this out the door, mm-hmm. he's got a team. He's trying to make sure that they get the deadline. And maybe one of the executives assumed that the project manager should actually oversee the project. <laughs> and That means he would be ultimately responsible for making sure the coders, the accountants, everybody just does their part to build this web store, to build this website, mm-hmm. this service-based thing. This this uh, what did they call it? Software as a service. Service. Thank you. SAS. SaaS. SaaS. Not to be confused with the other SaaS. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I was going to jump in real quick with one more example of really bad user experience, which is uh, which is kind of unique because Amazon is typically very good, but they have this specific service called Kids Free Time. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's basically unlimited kids books on Kindle. Oh. And so we signed up. It was like three bucks a month, but it just turns out my kids just aren't using it. There's just not that many quality uh, books on there. So I went to to cancel five minutes of clicking searching searching the web searching amazon everywhere i could not find you know i looked in subscriptions i looked in kindle kindle subscriptions i I mean five minutes is a long time of clicking Mm -hmm. and finally i decided i'm just gonna contact amazon and say hey i can't find this you know help i want i just give me a link it went overseas to india and they must've read it wrong. And it, I basically, they refunded me all of the money I ever spent on the subscription service. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I kind of like, okay, I guess I'll take that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, j- just stuff like that. That's like, you know, this is a service. Why can't, it, why can't I easily find it? Uh, th- that stuff just drives me badly.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what I'm thinking of is how user experience is still a relatively young field of interest. And we're beginning to understand just how much it affects the internet because it wasn't something that people could really study when you had print media and when you had uh, one-way communication with television broadcasting. And when you didn't have a, a great deal of research or feedback from your audience, it was difficult for the, the creators to know that their audience actually mattered and how to, how to design things around their, their genuine needs. But now we're hearing from them every day and with time uh, and tide we're beginning to notice we need to listen to them we need to uh, think about how we can meet their needs better and when we do guess what it serves the interests of the companies better too so it's important that they stop ignoring the users and count them in in the picture in the process and once you do this you realize that there are many desirable principles that you can apply to multiple projects in the entrance interest of the user even if you're dealing with a wide range of projects that have nothing to do with each other, because human experience is dictated by what? Well, the human experience by people. And even though there are like, what is there? 16 or so mod different varieties of personalities, according to Myers Briggs or what have you, Mm -hmm. there's still only so many different patterns of human behavior and you got to meet their needs. You've got to uh, help the blind. You've got to help the people that are just uh, hard of hearing if, the, if you're trying to present some audio with a content, or if you're trying to create design that is especially engaging for children or vice versa for the elderly, you got to think about these things about the user. And if you're a 35 year old coder with a middle management, just telling you to figure it all out from start to finish. And you don't have points of reference, so you rely on a some uh, you know indie developers WordPress template to tell you what looks good, and you just uh, copy and paste the whole code package, and then you plunk and copy. Mm-hmm. No wonder your website isn't very effective. Exactly.
2: And then uh, going back on like uh, how are you talking about uh, patterns? Those are like the the missing point I think for like lots of designers and developers, where there was a big focus more on like, hey, let's create pages and creating like this kind of page, like a profile page and then like a post page and all these separate entities rather than focus on the smaller components of that, the building blocks that make up the pages. So you instead focus on like these little small patterns that are re- reusable and modular components that you only have to design once and then you update it once and it updates it everywhere. And rather than thinking of pages first, rather you'd think of like the the smallest detail first, which is a... It's called like atomic design, which you, where you start with like the smallest components and then you work your way up creating um, organisms, molecules, molecules, create templates of pages.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll have a link to uh, details about atomic design in the show notes. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's, it's really helpful for people to get on board with that idea.
2: Oh, yeah, it's changed. Like I've always thought about it somehow some way but actually having it spelled out in the way that brad frost does mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier to sort of digest and then have that built into your process of just creating new things and thinking about reusability and extendability
0: good stuff yeah yeah so that that's uh that's what we're talking about <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so that is what sean does and that is what sean thinks about day in and day out Then what are you doing for the community at Columbus in the web group and your work at Cardinal now?
2: Yeah. At Columbus web group, um, it's two of us, uh, well, three of us, sorry, Kevin Mack, Adam Weiss, and myself. Uh, I'm a newly, uh, like co-organizer, uh, to the team.
0: Newly minted leadership.
2: I like that. That's a nice phrase. I'm going to steal that. I'll credit you. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. TM. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Every month, we have free monthly meetups. We use Meetup.com as our vehicle. Going forward, we're probably going to have our own separate website. That's a, sort of why I was brought on to continue doing more of the organizational stuff, marketing, and doing like stuff like with a process in place. Because right now, it, it's more like winging it every time. There's a, it's a rough outline, um, but with the monthly meet, monthly meetups, roughly 100 to 200 people show up. Free education from people around the community. They're like top-notch people and seasoned veteran presenters, and they're pretty good if they're um, newly minted. Presenters are new to the presentation of whatever idea they have. We would sort of step in and help them a little bit more on crafting their bio, the outline, their actual slides. And it's a great time. It's all free. It's all awesome. And then you get to meet lots of people within the community. And then there's weekend workshops where you actually have two-hour sessions with these people, there's only ten people to a class, and you learn about let's say Sketch Three, which I taught one, or Intro to HTML, CSS, or JavaScript, or uh, Node, or you, we actually had a portfolio review. Even if you didn't have a portfolio, or you had something that you wanted to make it better, um, I think Dennis Fields, he um, I think he works at Envision or for Envision, and he helped people like help make their stuff better presented. Mm. Um, so it's really cool stuff that. Again, it's all free to the public. It's just we're trying to make the Columbus community, the tech community even stronger.
0: that That is how you give back to the community and your ability to teach like you you said earlier that you were pursuing a teaching job in another field in <laughs> mathematics. Yes, but then it just got redirected into something a bit more creative and interesting. To be honest, I don't think you hurt yourself by moving into the design.
2: No, not at all. I, I'm a fan of it. When I worked at Apple um, with um, Brian and Sam. Uh, the my previous podcast buddies, I was really big into teaching the workshops and the one to one sessions there. Just like helping people explore, getting the most out of the technology that was in front of them. So I, it's been like a string that's gone through my, my whole life, just trying to teach people, make them better, and use technology to their full advantage.
0: Well, then speaking of those things that are right there in front of us, the tools of the trade, I- I've been interested in discussing this with another designer from a completely different perspective. Yes. Uh, what I love about you, Sean, is that um, because I'm down in the weeds of things like Adobe, Photoshop, CS6, and then exploring other products along the way, kind of thinking like an old footy-ditty, like, oh, man, do I really want to move things to the cloud? Do I really want to pay <laughs> for things from month to month? Do I really need to? You know, I- I'm feeling like... You know what? I need to grow up. Well, not grow up, but I need to grow young again and get back <laughs> into things like, well, exploring what people are using now and making sense of the newer products that are coming to web designers. You know, Adobe is introducing so many different apps. I can't keep them all straight. I can't either. And then every now and then, you know, some are going to wash up on the beach and it's like, oh, there's another Adobe app. And then there's others <laughs> going to be taken back in the bottle to see and you'll never see again. I'm wondering, like, what do you make of the affair of the high-end established professional design tools today? Like, where does Adobe Photoshop stand? Where does Dreamweaver stand? Like, I still hear people toss around the the name Dreamweaver, like it's a thing. And what do you think designers are going to be using in 2016?
2: Uh, With Adobe, I'll tackle that first. Like how you said, it seems like they keep, churning out stuff it could be all great but i can't
0: it's all spaghetti on the wall
2: (laughs) yeah it's like uh, that's a cool thing i think i don't do i have time to use this no uh i might use this on the next project i have but then i forget about it because then i'm going to use the tools that i feel like would be good i don't have time to learn anything new at this moment so extremely new that it possibly like slowed down the project so it's It's hard to tell. I think I like what they're doing. If they can somehow focus that, like after a while of like, okay, we've seen what we've done, we've seen the response, now we're going to prune what we have and then make features into an amazing thing. I forget the latest one was presented. Um, Do you know about Koi Vin? uh, I think it's subtraction.com.
0: Yes, I'm over there every now and then, but I haven't been lately. What's up?
2: Uh, He is now a part of the adobe team he used to be a part like the new york times i think uh, like part of the visual side but now he's helping with adobe app that is sort of close to sketch
0: is this the one that's called muse
2: it could be called muse i do not know the name of it i only know that he works on it I'm searching his site right now
0: you got to be careful when you hover over some of his images that the the whole website oh inverts wow it's really amazing <laughs> I, I don't know if I would recommend anyone else do this, but you just got to see this. Go to any of the listeners that are interested in design. You have to look this up. Subtraction.com. Yes. Find any one of his thumbnail images and roll over it. And, uh, your eyes will hurt for a split second. <laughs> you won't know what happened. And then, everything will be okay again. It's, it's all right. I've never seen this effect implemented before, but it's clever. It's, it's, I don't know if it's good design yet, but it's very original.
2: It tells you that you are hovering over something without <laughs> leaving anything uh, to the side of doubt. It's <laughs> yes. like, wow, I've actually never hovered over any of his images this is crazy
0: but he he's an he's a very accomplished designer yes for sure yeah i, I really appreciate his results from the subtraction.com design tools survey mm-hmm. and that's a fantastic website for anyone that's a developer for the web you need to check this out if you don't already know about it because it's really thorough it's really clear understandable and you, you can take a lot away from it very fast
2: yeah and his uh App Wildcard is a pretty cool news app based on the idea of cards, which is uh, nothing new, but it's in vogue right now. Oh, Project Comet. That is the thing that I couldn't think of the name of. Yeah, it's working with like real data. And I think in the future, uh, like 2016, designers that can work with real content uh, rather than dummy content and having things generated dynamically right having all that makes it very easy and determining like is this a successful design accomplishing whatever goal of this page is um assuming that you have a content strategy person or someone to determine like the goal of this page is to do this and this is the messaging that should be conveyed it will be awesome in the future to just design with real data Hmm. having a Ability to prototype stuff and then experience things on different devices easily. Instead of having a simulator of an iPhone on your screen, something like Sketch Mirror makes it a bit easier to have a design within Sketch and then easily,
0: in real time, see it in the real place where it'll appear.
2: Yeah. And then do mock interactions. Yeah. Going yeah. forward, there are so many prototyping tools out there. There's too many to name, and then too many prototyping tools that also do like animation built in.
0: Right. They they feel like Apple's keynotes on steroids, Yes, <laughs> where you can lay out the canvas area any way you like, and then it has all the shapes and texts and uh, colors and textures and filters you would like. And then you have animations to boot. So when you click on a thing, it's going to move over here and expand this other thing and a list will appear so you can get that human interaction on the fly before anything is coded. And I'm seeing multiple solutions that are popping up these days. I'm getting their newsletters, and every day I'm, 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 my eyes are drooling for them. I, I want to <laughs> pull them out and I want to learn these tools. And yeah, it just reminds me of what Keynote was like for me 10, 15 years ago when I was just producing some custom presentations for special guest lectures and the like in mm-hmm. a formal of life for a different career path. And it's it's come in full circle now. The trick about animations, to me, is figuring out the practical use for them that is appropriate for the use case. Yes. Like so many other things, when animations came to video production on suites like Final Cut Pro and Adobe Premiere, and people had access to Adobe After Effects, it seemed like everything got animated, whether it was (laughs) helpful or warranted, at all. yes. And over time, the video community has backtracked and said, you know what, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And now it seems like the web is going through that experience where a lot of the the young designers, well, I don't mean literally young, but designers new to the ability of, hey, we can animate all the things, (laughs) are finding all new ways to use these tools to create modern marvels. And it's like, no, we really don't need that. It's, uh, you got some fantastic art there, bro, but maybe <laughs> pull it back, uh, get back to the, the world of design and what practically serves purposes.
2: Yeah. Gratuitous animation is always fun, especially when you have to wait five seconds for it a to page to load to click a button. <laughs> You're like,
0: can we call it gratuitous design? Oh yeah. We'll get a special rating system going. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that would be awesome. It could be a Tinder for animation. You could say, ah, no, yeah, no.
0: There'll also be a Tumblr. <laughs> we'll get this all together.
2: Yeah, it goes hand in hand with like the, the dribbleization of design, of making things like that are impossible to actually implement, and then <laughs> also adding uh, animation that is impossible to code in the frame rate that they're done. Yeah, it's a it's a fun time. But yeah, exactly what you're saying, like overextending yourself, like the video community did, and then like, pulling back like okay we had our fun <laughs> now we should probably do things that are normal and sane and actually add to whatever value what we're going to do instead of just throwing in all the animations everywhere
0: well okay well then in the last few minutes we have for the show today I wanted to talk about sketch with you oh yeah um, there, there's a lot we could talk about we'll have to have you back but sketch sketch is such a big deal these days it seems like it was the hit thing in 2015 it was all the rage because it shook things up. It it began to open people's eyes that they really could move on from Adobe Photoshop for some serious professional web design. Mm -hmm. And that's a great thing to shake things up. They needed the competition. I think that uh, Adobe Photoshop isn't a representation of Adobe resting on their laurels. I don't think that that's the problem. I think the problem is, is that Adobe Photoshop does too many things. Mm-hmm. And even though it has remarkable tools, it's trying to meet way too many people's expectations. So there's five or six different ways to pull off any trick. And then when designers have to collaborate together, sometimes they can't share the same files and use the files because they know different different ways to, to pull, uh, pull off the same effect. And so there's various ways which Adobe Photoshop has gummed up our workflows as designers, as as creative types, whether we're trying to make something for print we're focusing on photography or we're trying to build things for the web or video graphics. And I, I think that it has served its time. It definitely does work. But then I, I started to behold the changes that came with Sketch. And I really like their simple solutions. It feels like they started with how would Apple do things when Apple was at their best with iWork? Mm-hmm. And then we'll go from there. Uh, what can we learn from modern apps that are experimenting with the bleeding edge of what a desktop app can do for a mobile internet experience. So that's what I see like Sketch taking on and they're just so inspirational because I, I, I get the feeling like they have a balanced view, a balanced mindset with the engineers, the interface designers and the experience designers thinking about their very own product with Sketch. And you have done some stuff with Sketch. You've done some classes about Sketch. I just wanted your thoughts on Sketch. And how does it fit into your design?
2: Yeah. How you were saying, like, Photoshop can do roughly anything, which is great. It's like a Swiss army knife, whatever you can do. Like, if I only had to live within Photoshop. I could survive. It's not like I would die. I might not enjoy my life all the time, but it could do the job. Um <laughs> With Sketch, I think it's gone on in like almost a year and a half, two years now. I, in the beginning, I was like, I've heard about this thing. I downloaded a free trial and then I got um, Meng Tu, I think that's how you pronounce his name, a book about a design code, designing code, uh, designcode.io is where it is. And I learned a little bit more about uh, like Objective-C and developing iOS apps, along with learning how to use Sketch. And then ever since then, I've just been using it more and more. It's not the best illustration tool. I can't say that. Yeah. Illustrator is where you probably want to live in for that. But the reason why I love it so much is because it is taking it into the constraints of whatever platforms you're going to go to. While Photoshop you can really make things that are possibly like impossible to implement without creating lots of image assets. While Sketch you can actually implement things within CSS or export it as a SVG and then do whatever you want within it with CSS and JavaScript and fun stuff like that. And I actually got my whole company. Well, not my whole company. I helped sort of stir uh, the sketch uh, movement within Cardinal. I did like a really quick presentation, like a lunch and learn, uh, which then became that workshop that's now online. It was essentially just taking people like, Hey, you sort of know Photoshop. And I went through like A to Z um, just using the letters as things that exist within Sketch, like artboards or Bezier curves and stuff like that. Detailing like, this is why this is good. This is why this is bad. I know Sketch is buggy, but it does have that glimmer of hope, how you were saying like they, the designers and the developers in there seem to have some kind of understanding of a balance of what they're making, trying to make something that is good for subsets of people, not everybody.
0: So then where do you see sketch fits into your your toolbox what are you using it alongside of and what are the tools that you're seeing the coders are using if there's anything that stands out when they take your files from sketch has that changed has there been any influence Mm -hmm. on the coders while you're using sketch tools
2: a bit i've helped them out a lot yeah they need help (laughs) (laughs) the ability to export things out at multiple resolutions really easily along with different file types, instead of having to go back and like...
0: Resize all the things by hand or create some recorded actions in Photoshop for the trick.
2: Exactly. Yeah, that is not existent. And then ability within there to actually create file hierarchies based on the layer names that you're exporting, Um, which is a bit crazy, where if you have, depending on the name of the layer or the artboard that you have, you can then have those automatically export into particular folders for you. Which is saves time tremendously, and then also with that, there's so many plugins that exist that are out there that extend what Sketches. Sort of like you can have Photoshop plugins, but for whatever reason, it seems like the Sketch plugins are they are very lightweight. Uh, usually, they are focused on one thing, and they're free. And you simply download them and then set them up, and they can make it so that you are dealing with like real information, like real content or actually accessibility. And so if one layer, like a text layer, is on top of a yellow background, background and the text is white, you can run this plugin and it's like, hey, accessibility, this doesn't meet the ADA requirements, you should probably change it. So things like that make it easier for when I throw it over to the developer. Like I already know all this stuff. I already have all these files and all the hierarchy and the folders that you should need it. You can also batch it up with like image optimization so that way... When they get it, the file sizes are reduced by tenfold. And then if you also do like version control with Git, you learn a little bit about that. It then helps the developers. Like, oh, can I have an updated asset of this? Or if they actually have the sketch file, it's easy-peasy for them. They hit like two buttons and like, okay, I got the newest thing. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to learn about like export options. I really hit two buttons.
0: And what's really hard to believe about the things you just named, there's a good list there, is how all these things were introduced with sketch yeah like these were not tools that were available to us in a cohesive manner with one app until now
2: yes and i I, I, the reason why i like it so much is because the core is pretty simple then the plugins that are free like with sketch toolbox that searches github and then finds them and gets them in for you and updates them it makes it a lot easier to digest sketch once you master the core foundation you're like okay you know what, it would be really cool if I could search or place certain layer names really easily. I want to see if the plugin exists for this. Oh, there is. Cool. And then you get it. So as you go on and learn more, you can add on to your little tool belt.
0: Well, all right. Thanks, Sean. There's more (laughs) that we could say about Sketch. Um, One of the things that's new in the news, it's going to be old news pretty fast, though, is that Sketch has just made its exodus from the Mac App Store. Yes. Talk about that after the closing outro so <laughs> yeah. sean i want to say thank you for joining us this has been really good episode 36 it's almost a wrap
2: all right thank you for having me so much
0: thank you for listening <laughs> you listen to our show i know all the time it's your favorite show and i really appreciate all the kind words you've said about <laughs> tectonic it's it's really great you, you don't have to go
2: on anymore T- to be fair i don't listen to any podcasts anymore <laughs>
0: <laughs> no i i understand why <laughs> but if you were if you were it would be ours right yeah you'd start alphabetically in the t's and you'd come to tectonic
2: yeah t is the best letter yeah i might actually have to start up with s because that's the beginning of my name
0: oh yeah and you, but you don't have a t in your name so
2: no i have zero t's anywhere in my name <laughs> it's like one of the letters i don't have <laughs>
0: amazing and it's such a common letter too okay yeah. well, anyway, thanks Sean. thanks for joining us
2: no problem. Thanks.
0: And thank you, Joshua. Sorry. Uh, this is a, a good episode for you to listen and to just, uh, follow along because I, I know you don't have much to do with design, but
1: yeah, I'm going to go grab some more, uh, eggnog, but actually more bourbon. Yeah.
0: sorry. <laughs> we'll call it eggnog because it is the season. <laughs>
1: I'll have eggs tomorrow for breakfast. And that's kind of the same thing.
0: Yeah. All
1: right, guys. Thanks.
0: Okay. This is the end of tectonic episode 36. We're so glad that you could join us and If you don't already have them, you can find the show notes with the links at tectonic.fm slash 36. Anything that Sean and I talked about the tools and the references to design resources online, you can get them there. And if you're looking for us on Twitter, our guest Sean is at SPJPGRD. Okay, I'll repeat that again. SPJPGRD. That's just one of the most fantastic handles I've ever read. Yeah, And I'm Joe Darnell, that's underscore Joe Darnell on Twitter. And my co-host is simply Joshua Pfeiffer. And the show is Tectonic FM. And if you would like to send us a private message, you can email us those at hello at tectonic.fm. We'll get them any kind of feedback or ideas that you want us to discuss in the future episode. And do us a huge favor, check out the show on iTunes and leave us a review there. That would make like the best Christmas present. That's going to do well to help other people discover the show. So thank you in advance. I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks a bunch for listening to the Tectonic Podcast.